Psalm 113 is a special psalm. It's unique in and of itself. It has great words to proclaim, great truths that are being focused on, but it is part of six psalms called the Hallel, which is simply translated praise. And those psalms are often sung at some of the most monumental times for Jewish families. Uh, certainly sung during Passover and other feasts, including Pentecost and Tabernacles. And there is a narrative that is being sung about and told in Psalm the Hillel, beginning in Psalm 113. In fact, this has been one of those sections of Scripture that has been sung generationally so that the message of redemption that the people experience could be recommunicated to the next generation and it just has been going on now for 3,500 years so there's a lot of history in this section of scripture and a lot of repeating of this throughout the generations so that the message of Christ and the redemption that God provides to people is talked about and talked about often so the psalm is beckoning us to praise the Lord it begins with that exclamation, doesn't it? Just outright, praise the Lord. And then he repeats it. Did you notice how many times he repeats it in the text? Uh, just the first three verses that I've already read to you, it's just repeated over and over. In fact, in the, in the entirety of the chapter, it's just nine verses long, and he says the same thing five times. Praise the Lord. So when the Lord repeats himself in something, he really has a great truth that he wants us to lock into. He has a great proclamation for us to agree to and bring into our lives. And this one is bringing praise uh, from us. So one day, certainly when God is revealed in his glory and all the world sees that and he judges the nations, one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord and they will recognize his great glory. But this psalm is not talking about that. This psalm is talking about you and me, the servants of God, praising the Lord. That we're not waiting one day in the future where we uh, acknowledge Him uh, with all the nations, but we choose today to praise Him, to bless Him, and to extol Him. So he says in this particular psalm that this is a focus on people who are servants of the Lord. In other words, those who have been redeemed by Him, we are to praise Him. Now, our primary service to the Lord is not to do something for Him. It's not even to give something to Him. What God desires of us, and perhaps even most importantly than all other things, is to come to Him to worship Him, for He is to be worshipped. In fact, He says right out of the gate, I am the Lord your God, you shall worship me. You shall have no other gods before you. Don't make any other god. Worship me. And so this is one of those psalms that elevates that point that God demands for us to worship him because he is rightfully due our worship. The problem is you and I don't worship him. In fact, none of mankind worships him. We don't come to God. We don't acknowledge him. So in God's grace, he comes to us. And he reveals himself to us. And catch this, in his grace, he gives us the measure of faith that is needed that we might respond to him and the revelation that he gives to us and can make it so that we can become worshipers. And as we become worshipers, we are blessed people. 
It's an amazing pointing of the gospel here in the Old Testament and one that continues throughout the message of the scripture. In fact, let's go over to Romans chapter 3. I want to just point out to you what God is doing uh, because he's asking for us to seek him, to know him, to proclaim him, to worship him. But you'll notice in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, he says, this is not the way it works. Nobody's doing this. Uh, no one is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks for God for all have turned aside together they have become worthless no one does good not even one their throat is an open grave they use their tongues to deceive the venom of asp is under their lips their mouth is full of curses and bitterness and their feet swift to shed blood in their past they are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known there is no fear of God before their eyes now we know whatever the law says it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God for by works of the law no human being is justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin but then if you go on in that text, beginning in verse 21, he says, But ah, there is a righteousness that has been revealed to us apart from the law. And Paul goes on to say, and it's Jesus Christ. So in this Psalm 113, it opens out with an exclamation, Praise the Lord! And then at the same time, God is saying, Nobody's doing that. Nobody's coming to me to praise me. So he comes to us. That is the glory of the gospel. That is the wonder of the gospel, that God has come to us while we were yet sinners. That's what makes communion so special. Uh, not just that God has done something for us gloriously and graciously and mercifully in his love, but that he did it while we were sinning against him, while we were enemies of his. It shows the great character of God. So Psalm 113 and 114 is traditionally sung uh, the two of them together prior to the meal called Passover and of course the whole narrative of Passover is a recounting of God's redemptive work in the people of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt in fact if you were to look over there if the message gets boring you can go over to Psalm 114 and you can see the recounting of that narrative and it's meant to be sung as a family so that the kids, the parents, the grandparents are all reminded of God's great redemptive work, of God's great work of reconciliation. And of course that carries forth in us because the image of God doing that for Israel is seen most beautifully for us in Christ Jesus who, who has redeemed us out of our own slavery to sin and judgment and the, and the uh, grave. So let's focus in on 113. I'll just read those first three verses again to sort of get your grounding. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So you don't need me to tell you what praise is, but let me just remind you, it is an enthusiastic boost. It is a boasting of someone it's purposeful it's intentional and it's with enthusiasm and i think this praising that is meant to boast about god his character his works his person that boasting can be contemplative and a response out of the contemplation and it can be very spontaneous there are times that we do both 
and the psalmist is okay with either one in fact he's probably good with both of them at any time so he says just praise the lord just purpose to praise the lord and then notice the directive who this is being addressed to praise the lord O servants of the lord so the psalmist makes this a call of worship to those who are servants of the Lord. He's appealing to people who have been redeemed by a covenant relationship that God has established. Namely, for the psalmist, it was to the people of Israel that God had made a covenant with them. That was the, the covenant that had been established in the Old Testament. For you and me, God has made a covenant with us as well. And the covenant has been... Uh, solidified by the blood shed blood of jesus christ that's what our communion was about just a moment ago taking the lord's supper it was a reminder of that covenant that god has established with the shedding of blood and the crucifixion of our lord and savior jesus christ so a covenant has been established and it's been established for people to be in relationship with god because they were not in relationship with him god came to be in relationship with them and he established the covenant they didn't negotiate this out. God came offering it. It wasn't because Israel was a, a favored group of people. God determined in his own mercy and grace that he would make a covenant with those people because he wanted to be known as that kind of God, a loving, caring, affectionate, purposeful, moving towards God. He's doing the same for us. July 22nd, 1965 was my birth date. And on that date, God did not have a revelation in heaven. Oh, finally, somebody who will worship me. No, on that day, he said, oh, another one, born of the son of men, born unto Adam, who will sin as they all have sinned and who will have my judgment resting on him in his sin. God knew that I would be an enemy as his. God knew I would be rebellious towards him and his word. God knew I would go my way, not his way. God knew my will would be triumphing in my life. And yet God, because of his character, determined to build in me a covenant relationship through his son, Jesus. He came to me initiating a relationship. He came to me initiating love. He came to me calling me to be convicted in my sin and know the need for a savior. He established the covenant in Jesus Christ and then offered that covenant to me, gave me the faith that I might exercise towards him in that relationship. It's all on God. That's the way it is for all of us who are saved. It won't be because you suddenly achieved your status and God says, okay, now. No, no, no. In the midst of your rebellion, in the midst of your sin, just like me, God comes with grace and mercy. What a beautiful gospel that is. Every other religion known to mankind is working your way to God. This biblical truth is, no, you will never work your way to God. God has come and humbled himself to come to you. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why we love it and embrace it so much. So he says of this covenant people, Israel, you will be my servants. Now that is a great title. Among all the titles that we might have, serving the most high God is the greatest title that we could ever have. In our service to him is grand blessings, grand rewards. He gives talent, ability, skill, want to. He gives spiritual giftedness to us in order that we might serve him as his servants. And then he rewards us for all of that. Only God in his great love could do that. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
that covenant that God established with Israel, he says to them, you will be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So as servants in this covenant relationship with God, God says to them, you are going to be my servants as kingdom priests and a holy nation. That's their servitude to God. And you say, well, that's all about Israel, Randy. What about us? Well, for us, it is in this covenant relationship that we have with Christ Jesus, in the exercise of grace that he's given to us, he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's talking about us. Those that have been called to a covenant relationship in Jesus Christ he says, this is the way you're going to serve me. You're going to be a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for my own possessions, and you will proclaim my excellencies. You will proclaim all the excellence of me, my character, my name, my, my, my mission. This is the way we serve him. So it's a wondrous idea that you and I are called servants of God. And so he says, the psalmist does, praise the Lord, O servants. I think what he's saying is, praise him as you're proclaiming the excellencies of the Lord who called you out of darkness and moved you into his kingdom of light. And then he tells us the purpose of, or the, the um, reason behind our praise, we praise the name of the Lord. So mentioning the name of the Lord is not to just mention his proper name. He's talking about something different there. If I were to, or you were to ask, uh, tell me about the name of Randy Gunner. You wouldn't be asking about the simple name, Randy, and you wouldn't be asking about my surname, Gunter. If I were to ask, tell me about the name of Kevin Castleberry. It wouldn't be that I'm asking you about his name. I already know his name. What I'm asking is about his character, right? If you ask about the name of somebody, you're wondering about them as an individual. So as the psalmist is saying, praise the Lord, he's saying praise the name of the Lord. Praise the character, the reputation, the work, the person of God. I'm reading Alan Ross's commentary through Psalm, as, as I am others as well. He puts it in a real succinct way. Yahweh has a name, and name refers to all that God has revealed himself to be. So when he says, praise the name of the Lord, he's talking about Yahweh. Yahweh is this great name of it. It helps us frame up who God is. I am he says, and all the workings of God and all the character of God. Praise the name. Praise him because you know his character. Praise him because you know the revelation. Praise because God has revealed himself and made himself known and given his name to you that you and I might know. Praise him for his name. So let's boast in the Lord and his attributes and his character. And he he has revealed himself in creation such that no one in the world has excuse not to know God. He has given them a general revelation. Praise him as you 
know the revelation of God but God goes further than that God gives us the declaration of his word praise him for he has made himself known in the written scripture the Bible praise him because he has revealed himself by the Holy Spirit and the great works of the Holy Spirit praise him in the person of Jesus Christ who is God in flesh praise him because he has revealed himself to us and in that revelation give him the praise that is due him then he says in verse 2 blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore from the rising of the sun to its setting the name of the Lord is to be praised so the psalmist reminds us that there is an open season to praise if you whatever it is that you and I have going on it is the season of praise you say well I'm going through struggle it's the season of praise I'm being beaten down it's in the season of praise I'm, I'm successful it's the season of praise my life couldn't be any better it's the season of praise my life couldn't be any worse it's the season of praise from now forevermore and when we praise him for his name and his goodness and the revelation of God when we praise him you utter out the words you have the collective thoughts you express them to God you are doing what is an eternal venture you are engaging in something that lasts forevermore. Some people have the wrong concept of praising God forever and ever. They think themselves sitting on a cloud with a harp strumming praises to God in heaven one day couldn't be further from the truth. Listen, the new heaven and the new earth, as God creates it without the markings, the tainting, the touch of sin of mankind, it is going to be absolutely marvelous. The glory of God is going to extend throughout all of the new creation of heaven and earth, such as there will be no need for sun or moon or stars. The glory of God will illuminate at all times and all places. You will be perpetually in the presence of God, dwelling within his midst. And every discovery that you have is one of those moments of praising God. You could go to the furthest reaches of the universe and there's still way more to go. And in the midst of all that, you will be praising God. You'll be in relationship with people. You'll be eating meals with people. You'll be enjoying the beauty of creation and all in the midst of it, praise will come forth. So you can get a jump start on that today by uttering out praise. Praise him today and forevermore. It is an eternal activity for the saints of God begin it today practice it when the sun is rising put it in your habit to praise the lord throughout the day until the sun is setting i think what he's meaning there is figuratively when you are rising up in the day and when you are going down in the night let the praise of god be perpetually on your mouth just bring forth the praise of god recognize his goodness know his name as he has revealed himself bless him and praise him and give him the attention that is due i just i made a note in in my notes today just as a challenge to practice this and really even this morning i'm eating granola that Kay has made and i'm eating and drinking coffee thinking lord how do i just practically help people come to an application of praise throughout the day and I never could quite grab hold of this is what I'm supposed to tell them they ought to be doing and I think the reason is you have a varied way of living you have varied personalities some of you are very vocal some of you not so much some of you a hundred words will get you through the day 
Some of you, 100,000 words are to lunch, right? So you're just different. Who am I to tell you how to praise the Lord? Let the acknowledgement be in your heart and as you can do, express your praise to the Lord. Just when you're rising up, praise him. Put some music on that causes you to praise him. Engage his word, praise him. Have conversation with people to promote the praising of God. Put your head to the pillow and whisper out until you go to sleep the praises unto the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now I've got just a few moments to finish this one up so let's put it a little faster in gear three quick points why well number one the lord is exalted look in verse in verse four he says the lord is high above all nations his glory above the heavens who is like the lord our god who is seated on high who looks down far down on the heavens and the earth he raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her, joyous, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. And God is exalted. He says he is above all nations and his glory above the heavens. I've got good news for you. God is above every congressman, every senator, every president, every chief justice, and every justice that comes underneath the chief justice. God is above them all. So when you're watching the chaos on TV, if you haven't already turned it off, consider this. God is above them. God is greater than them. When nations are saber-rattling, when they're talking of decimation and destruction when they're talking about their power God is not quaking in his shoes up in heaven wondering how this thing's going to turn out I can tell you God is seated high and above every nation you don't have to fear you don't have to worry you and I are servants of the most high God in faith in Christ Jesus and our God is above it gloriously above it just rest in that utter out your praise in that as crazy my goodness as crazy as this world is right now you just whisper out a praise and god you my lord are above it all you are greater than it all there is no comparison to you i like the way isaiah says it he puts it so picturesque and so pointedly he says people are like grass and the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. In comparison to the Lord, the nations are nothing more than dust on the scales. The Lord is so high above the nations that Isaiah says that he picks up the whole world as though it were a grain of sand. God is above. Now the nations might strut, they might shout, they might taunt, they might threaten, but God is not impressed, he is not rattled, and he is not worried because he is above all the nations okay so we get that one here's one that's even more intriguing and his glory is above the heavens his glory is above the heavens plural heavens now if you're a student of the bible you know that the bible mentions three heavens now listen to me because if you don't listen to me fully you're going to think that guy is wigged out the heavens, the first heavens, is that which we have, the air in which we breathe. 
it's you and me just um, having this open expanse to the sky. It's the beauty in which we live. We look around and we see the heavens above. You're not going to see this picture outside, are you? Not today, you're not. And we're grateful for that. Thankful to the Lord for the rain, yes? But you can see that that's the heavens, the sky above. And man, are they ever incredible. But then beyond that, there is a universe and galaxies within the universe that is expansed. And it's by the purpose of God. And there you find some of the greatness that is yet to be discovered. By the way, NASA has come up with a telescope that you know, it's behind schedule and obviously over budget. It's a government project. But NASA has this James Webb Space Telescope that is soon to be launched. And when it is a million miles away, it will open up the scope and it will begin to see into the far reaches of the galaxies. A hundred times more powerful than Hubble, they say. Scientists are so anticipating this that they say the textbooks that we have will have to be rewritten when we see what we will see with the power of this telescope. What the Bible is saying is whether you're looking at the sky or whether you are reaching into the outer parts of the cosmos, God is above his glory extends way above those things. And how glorious is this universe? It is glorious, but he is above it. But then there's a third heaven. And that third heaven we only have description of because God has determined us not to know too much about it until he brings us there. But every now and then he will give a biblical writer a vision of that heaven where God's throne is seated and the Apostle Paul talks, himself, uh, talks about himself having the vision of that, and he said, I heard things that cannot be put to words by a man. They are things that cannot be spoken of. And even in that, the Lord is more glorious. Or Ezekiel, who is trying to give depiction of what he had a vision of, of heaven. And really what he zooms in on are the beings that are around the Lord on his throne. He says they have the appearance of like burning coal or moving around like someone holding a torch. It's the light, the fire of the torch that's just moving around. But then he says, but as I see them move around, it's as if there is a flash of lightning as they move from one place to the other. What he's trying to do is describe with human words what cannot be described with words. He's trying to describe what is the glory of heaven and the glorious beings in heaven. And even though we have that description, the psalmist says, the Lord is more glorious than that. Or John has this incredible vision, which he wrote about in the Revelation. And in that, he sees the great city in heaven that will come and we will reside within that. And he talks about the gold fixtures there and the gold foundation and the arraignment of that structure with all of the, the great stones 
that we know about, the most priceless and precious stones. He talks about the gates, the 12 gates and the 12 foundations. He talks about the recreation or, or the uh, Eden that is there and the tree of life that is there and which will be productive such that the nations will be healed by its uh, bearing. But even in that, John can't quite give us the essence of the glory of heaven one day. The psalmist says, don't worry. You don't need to know all about the glory of heaven for there is one who is even more glorious than that. So no doubt he says to praise him for there is one to be praised that is higher than any nation and more glorious than the heavens. Put your focus on him. Praise him. But then he says as well, praise him for he is transcendent meaning he is above. Who is like our, the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Now, there is no God except our God, amen? There is no one comparable to him. He is unmatched, as one writer says. He is the judge of all who is not judged by anybody. There is but one God, and he is unique, transcendent, means that he exists above and independent from everything else. And we certainly attest that the Lord is that. The Lord, he alone is God. He alone is the transcendent being. He brought everything into existence when nothing was but him. He brought about it by his own declaration. No wonder he is called El Shaddai, the Almighty, because he alone can do that and hold it together he created all things, so he is transcendent above all things. He is beyond our reach. There is no way that you and I will ever reach or get close to God. Completely separated. You can pick up on many a passage that speaks of that. Isaiah 64, 6 and 7 is probably one of the most uh, easy to understand. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is one who calls upon your name. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of your iniquities. That's the transcendent God. So far and above, so separated, so distant from us in our common sinful place. His righteousness and his holiness is utterly unique. And there is no way for us to get to him. No way for you to work your way in religion up to him. And there's nobody that's even trying. So that is the transcendent God. He is above. The good news, though, is yes, he is transcendent. Yes, he is above. Yes, he is exalted as holy and utterly separated in his righteousness. But he comes to us. That's the paradox of the gospel, isn't it? That God is far and above, and yet he's looking down beneath. That God is higher than, and yet he is humbling himself and coming to where we are. That God is holy and he's coming to those who are unholy. That God is utterly distinct as spirit, you and I in flesh. So God takes on flesh and meets us where we are in our sin. That's the paradox of it all and the beauty of the gospel. 
that this is what God has done. What a remarkable thing that, yes, he is transcendent, but he has come to where we are. He has come in a very personal way to us, amazingly so. So we ought to praise the Lord for his transcendence, but we ought to praise him as well that he has come to where we are, which brings me to point number three. The Lord is compassionate. He humbles himself to care for the lowly. He's not distant. He's compassionate. Jesus demonstrated this remarkable truth about God when he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, becoming, being born as in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by be, being uh, obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So praise the Lord, for he cares for us and has great compassion for us and doesn't stay in his exalted position, but humbles himself to come to us. But now this end of the passage in Psalm 113 is all about his compassion for people, and he gives us some pretty vivid ways to express that. He says the Lord cares for people by raising up the poor, by lifting the needy from their ash heaps, and by bringing fruitfulness and joy to the barren. Now think about that for a moment. Etched in my memory as well as the memory of many people who have been at Meadowbrook for a while are the dumps, the trash dumps of north central Mexico. We had spent many, many a day amongst those dumps. We would typically rise up in the morning and begin preparing a meal. And we would go out with the gospel and with food and water. And among the people in the dumps who were scavenging around looking for food or recyclable items, something that might turn from trash to a treasure, we were there to communicate the compassion of God. It's a picture, isn't it? Of the Lord taking the poor and raising them up. But this passage doesn't talk about the Lord giving them a meal and going back to the U.S. This passage talks about the Lord raising up the poor and seating them with the princes of his kingdom. That's a permanent change. This passage talks about the Lord raising people up out of their ashes, a real humble position to be in. If you were in grief, if you were mourning, it would be constant for you to sit in ashes and communicate to people all around you. You cannot get lower than what you are right now. And yet the Lord lifts them from that place. Kay and I prayed many a time for families who have dealt with infertility. I would dare say there's not many pains pains in life that get to the depth of anguish and sorrow of a couple who wants to have a child but can't and we have wept with them before and prayed many 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 months and even years for some of them now i'm not saying that the lord is going to give every barren person the joy of children but what i am saying is that God is the kind of God that is doing a reconciling and redeeming work that is significant as if a woman who is barren was suddenly given children and the joy of her household was that child or those children. That's the kind of God we serve. He's not removed and distant. He is in the midst of your sorrow. 
Now, it might not happen in our timetable, but a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day unto the Lord. He is a timeless God. You and I are thinking in the scope of temporary life as we know it. God is thinking in eternity. He always has been and always will be. And he is redeeming and reconciling all things to himself. One day, those who are in faith in his son Jesus, who have been transformed, made from enemy to be a friend, made from one who is distant to now one is close, one who is removed from God but now in a covenant relationship with God, one who is a rebellious sinner against God, now a son and daughter favored by God brought in by adoption through Christ Jesus one day God is going to raise up those who are poor God is going to lift those who are downtrodden and God is going to give joy to those who have experienced anguish and it will be that way forevermore so let the praise be even now just knowing with faith that this day is short lived what I'm experiencing in the depth of the experience I'm not diminishing that the depth of your experience is short lived there is a new day coming and in that the Lord should be praised so with the rising of the sun and the setting let the Lord be praised let it be now and let it be forevermore that the Lord would be praised for we know him he has revealed his name. We know who he is. We know that he has drawn near to us and entered into a covenant relationship with us. And he shed his own blood to provide it. May the Lord be praised.